that's how you get custard out of a mattress. Hello and welcome back to Jay Play the Playism Podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Brian, for screwing that up. That's our Brian. Am I right? Before we get to the actual thing, the thing, the thing, the thing we're talking about today. Yes, Dan is going through a TV show now. <laughs> going through a TV show. He's going that's, through it. That's a good phrase for that show. Bojack Horseman, uh, a show is that's on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> the first two seasons are up there. If you like Louie, which is the, the Louis C.K. TV show that's yep, on FX, yep, yep. you like Louie which is an amazing mixture of dread, humor, and cringe, then you will love BoJack Horseman. But, but BoJack's not that cringe. It is, but it's not, like, I don't, it's, dude, I you're have not, a... You're not there yet. Maybe I'm not there yet. If I get there, I might actually stop watching. Because, like, I had a hard time watching Curb, no, Curb Your Enthusiasm. No, no, I don't mean, like, cringe um, humor. I mean, like, really... Breaking just... Bad is pretty bad for cringe. Yeah, uh, yes. that's it. Yes, I have yes, a yes, really yes, hard yes. time with that. It's bad, like, cringe in terms of suspense. It's bad cringe in terms of awkward situations. Yes, and yes. human nature in yeah. general. Yeah, like, I couldn't watch that whole show. I, I watched into the second season. I was like, this is a great show. It's a legitimate, fantastic, amazing show. I'm not going to finish it. And I, I have a, I have a hard time explaining that. that to most Breaking I, I Bad fans. I actually had a hard time. That is absolutely understandable. No, I had a hard time going through. I, I'm actually, I'm almost finished Breaking Bad now. I'm like on the middle of halfway through the last season. Yep. And I had such a hard time watching that show. It mm. just gets worse. Every time. It's just a snowball of bad decisions. And yeah. it's like, there, there was a time, I can't remember the name of the show. There was some show about like an Xbox or there was an HBO show. And like when that show came out and I was like, started watching it. And I was like, this is like, is this the new trend where every show that's good is just a downward spiral of bad decisions. Is that is this what every show is going to be like now? Yeah. Because I can't watch shows like that most of the time. Sometimes you know they can't you know they can't help it or whatever. And and then sometimes you're just like, what are you doing? No, no, don't do that. Anyway, so Bojack Horseman. Actually, I, I heard you describing it to Hugo, and you actually did a really good job, Dan. Like, why don't, why don't you describe Bojack Horseman? I don't recall at all what I said. Oh well, you described it's... it to. I mean, I'm not saying say the same thing yeah, again, but I... you, you you seem to have a pretty good handle on a good way to describe. Uh, it. If I can okay, just yeah, sure. jump in here, um, oh, yeah, well, he was ahead. he was actually describing friendship as magic to Hugo. I, 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 I can understand. <laughs> how you got the two mixed up but, so there's um, four friends uh no <laughs> so yeah okay so maybe i'll take a crack at it oh well, you want to drive yeah, yeah sure. go ahead there is a washed up actor who is a horse and he used to play on a, a sitcom similar to full house the father figure and this was on a show called horsing around i love that title and there's so many good animal puns because in this like fictional world uh you have all of these like anthropomorphic animals who live like intermingled with with humanity mm. that's the best part actually is it's not like everybody is an anthropomorphic animal. It's like you've got a bunch of them and then humans. And then nobody questions it and you're just nope. supposed to go. It's just the world. Yeah, they don't ask any questions. They don't offer any answers. They just kind of do this thing. This is this is life now. Let's go. But all of the animals have like names and positions and stuff that like in some kind of like puntastic way like suit like who and what they are. Oh, absolutely. Like So Bojack Horseman's agent is Pris Princess Carolyn. Yeah. And cat. she's a cat. Yeah, she's a cat that looks like a cat that'd be owned by a rich person. Like a yeah. puffy, puffy cat, you know? Like and she yeah, she looks exactly like the kind of cat that would be called Princess Carolyn. And what's really interesting is that uh for the first few episodes of the show, they talk a lot about Princess Carolyn's uh, nemesis, Vanessa Gecko. And yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and because <laughs> I you've been... she was going to be a gecko. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Everybody did. Everybody did because they talked about how cold blooded she was and shifty eyed. <laughs> and then she walks in and she's a perfectly normal human being. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know about perfectly normal. She's still a cold blooded agent. Right, Sorry, Ben. Still. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, no, I, the wonderful thing about it is like, it's one, the names, and then two, like, because the animal that they are puts them into certain positions in life, all the raccoons are homeless people <laughs> digging in garbage, digging garbage and bathing in like the fountain at the restaurant. Like, they're all, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Dude, how, all... how about Neil McNeil? The Navy's here. <laughs> so it's Neil McBeal is this character that Bojack meets at the grocery store. Second episode. Yeah, it's the second episode. So Neil, Neil McBeal, is a, he's a member of the Navy that has returned from war. He is a <laughs> literal SEAL. <laughs> he's not actually a Navy SEAL. He's a SEAL in the Navy, but everybody calls him a Navy SEAL. I thought he might have been an actual Navy SEAL Maybe in addition to that. Maybe he might also be a Navy SEAL. He <laughs> <could also be laughs> it that. could go either way. There's stuff like that. I mean, like, you know, there's the Golden Retriever whose name is Mr. Peanut Butter. Yeah, and yeah. he acts exactly like a Golden Retriever. He's such a Golden Retriever. Like, that time when he, like, picks up his girlfriend Diane from the airport and opens up the trunk, and, like, a, a bunch of, like, tennis balls fall out, he goes... Hey! <laughs> <laughs> he completely forgot that he himself put them there. And he's, he's really excited about it. He's the, both the best and worst friend because he's a lovable guy, but he forgets stuff. So he says stuff the same time, like the same thing every time. What is this, a crossover episode? Like he says it all the time and Bojack gets pissed off at it. And it didn't occur to me until like very recently that because he's a golden retriever, I really do think he forgets that he keeps saying that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I really do think he forgets that. Forgets a lot of things. But he's so, like, genuine. Simple but genuine. It fits the character perfectly. And it totally makes sense why Bojack hates him. Uh, so the show is fantastic. If you haven't watched it, you should definitely check it out. We didn't actually finish the, the whole synopsis. Oh, yeah, yeah, please go ahead. Please go ahead. The end of that synopsis is that Bojack Horseman is now, like, washed up. He's, he's had his run in Hollywood. He actually, he made tons of money. But in, in the present time in the show, he's incredibly self-absorbed. He he just has the hardest time thinking of anybody but himself. He owes to his publisher, his book publisher, which is a, a penguin at Penguin Publishing. <laughs> penguin Publishing. <laughs> <laughs> voiced by Patton Oswalt. Yeah. Amazing voice. Actor. Oh, yeah, yeah. He owes his, his publisher a, a book about himself. It's his autobiography. He's too busy drinking himself into a hole in the ground to actually write this damn book. His publisher makes him hire a ghostwriter. To write it for him. And that's where he meets that lady, Diane. That's that's sort of where like the, the show kicks off. I think that, that's episode yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I mean, like, that's pretty one. much the premise of the of the, the first season right there. And yeah. uh, one thing that's very interesting that people might not anticipate is that you look at the show, and I mean, it's well animated, I feel. It's got it very cartoonish characters. Again, Princess Carolyn is not only a cat, but she's also a pink cat. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> when you look at the list of the voices, you've got a lot of great comedians in it. Will Arnett, Patton Oswalt, Paul F. Tom. Tompkins, uh, Allison Brie are all part of the show. So don't forget Aaron Paul. We even talked about yeah, Breaking yeah, Bad Aaron a Paul. Yeah, Aaron Paul yeah. is fucking Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Paul is amazing. Yeah, he it's absolutely Tom. is. Yeah, and so he actually ends look, up being the, one of the smartest and realest characters. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But you look at this layout and you may subconsciously see, oh man, an animation with these great comedians. I'm in for a great time. You are not in for a great time. You're in for depression. <laughs> this is one of the most like existentially crushing television shows that I have ever seen. I don't know how season two goes, but actually up to this point, man, like it's, it's really hard for me to stop watching it. And I don't like cringe stuff. I really don't like cringe. And at, at least up until episode 11 in season one, I like being there. I like turning it on. When when an episode ends, I want to stick around until the next one begins. Yeah. What, what, how many episodes can you see? There's like, what, 13, 12? There's, there's, I think I want to say 13 episodes because I thought that 12 was the end and it's not. Wait a minute. So let's see how things go once I okay. get through season two. Because I'll watch until the end of season two. Hell, let's just see how you get by the end of season one. 
Yeah, even that's going to be interesting. Well, I mean, it's taken some turns already towards the end. It's not cringe enough for me to like want to avoid it. Right. And yeah. I'm, I'm very sensitive to stuff that's like cringe enough for me to want to get away from it. And I would say that would be the penultimate episode of season two is that was one that basically put me through the floor. Wait, is that actually the penultimate episode? That's the penultimate episode. It's actually the second last episode. That's the second to last episode. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, no the I mean, last... I think you're actually right. That yeah, actually is the penultimate. I'm absolutely right. Yeah. It's etched in my brain like watching a man get shot. <laughs> <laughs> That's we too much, man. Yeah, we should move on. <laughs> so let's actually get to what we were supposed to talk about in this episode. Games. Uh, games. Games, games, games. Actually, specifically what I wanted to talk about, what we've been playing. Like, usually, you know, it's like a segment that we, you know, it's like a refresher. Like, oh, we talk about stuff for like five minutes. And my biggest thing is that I didn't want to do that this episode because the game that I wanted to talk about, and I think the game you want to talk about as well as the same game, is a game that deserves more than five minutes. Yes, Mostly absolutely. because I don't, I don't think that we could talk about it for five minutes and even like hit even the surface. Like we'd be scraping, like, you know, if you think about like scraping ice in a rink, we would hit like a couple, like, you know, little snowflakes and then it'd be like, okay, let's, let's end the podcast. We wouldn't be hitting too much of it. Right. And if this is the game that I'm thinking about guys, I might just have to basically remove myself from the situation for a second because I have barely touched the surface in this game and I would oh. really like to experience it more. So I want you guys to absolutely talk about it. At no, length, no, no, we're but... not going to, we're not going to spoil it. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. Uh, no, I mean, I don't want to spoil it for anybody listening. Cause I really want everybody to get the experience to sort of like enjoy it in the same way that I have, which like, there are a lot of surprises. There are a lot of like good moments and like even if it's not like a major like plot spoiler like right. i consider spoilers and like a, like this is part of why i'm so sensitive about spoilers mm -hmm. it's that i don't see it as like just what gives away the plot the plots are not why i'm into storytelling it's all those little moments it's small revelations it's development it's yeah. getting through the plot it's all those beats mm -hmm. and good experiences and beats are are very meaningful to me mm -hmm. and this game has a lot of those Definitely. And here's the thing is that the, specifically the reason why I will not spoil anything is because I'm farther in the game than Dan is. And Dan is hugely sensitive about spoilers. Yeah. And Nyan is hugely sensitive about being choked to death. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I have to be really mindful about this stuff because I do not care at all about spoilers, except for specific. I really uh, appreciate, by the way, that you're like very accommodating in this way. Oh, no, it's fine. I mean, like, I would like to talk to people, but I mean, like, I'm, I'm the kind of person that I just want, honestly, I just want people to get so that I can actually talk about it. <laughs> Get on your level. Get on my <laughs> level, son. No, I honestly, like, the biggest problem is that, like, I go through stuff right when it comes out, and I go through it pretty quickly, and then I'm just like, oh, God, please just catch up. I'm waiting for you guys to catch up, but I, I want to talk about the game. The game in question. Drop it. What is it? Read Only Memories. Woo! It's hot. Drop it like that's hot. You did. I did. I dropped it. Drop, red, drop, Right in the podcast. Clump, clumsily, because like, I mean, it's kind of hot. It was burning your hands. Ouch. <laughs> so read-only memories. So how do I describe read-only memories? So read-only memories, it's out now on Steam. Fantastic game. It is an adventure game, but not in the way that I think a lot of people consider adventure games. Like if people were to consider like Monkey Island or the Telltale games or something like that, it's not that. But that's very specific. That's, I mean, not so much Telltale necessarily, but especially Monkey Island. Like that's point-and-click adventure. It, can, it is point-and-click, but it's not point-and-click in that way. Yeah, if I say point-and-click adventure, you expect to be navigating a character through an area and, like, interacting with stuff to solve puzzles. Right, right exactly. And we, you and I have talked about, like, 
I remember we were just outside the office. I think we were about to go to lunch and I was talking about like the fact that read-only memories. So read-only memories, let me go through like the what it is and then we'll talk about like like what we were talking about before. Yes. So read-only memories is, it's an adventure game that explores a world in the future that is laden with cyberpunk elements. So there's mm. like, there's people who are hybrids, who are people who have spliced genes from, you know, other animals and stuff. There are people who are cyborgs. There are people who are damn near androids. And then, the, you know, there's ROMs and ROMs are like, like basically like kind of the R2-D2s of this world. Mm. They're basically like kind of following you around and they know all the information and they do stuff for you. Yeah, right. they're like robotic companions. Right, exactly. It's a very Japanese adventure game and a very Japanese sensibility of the future. And the reason I say that is because one, it's super colorful. It's colorful in the way that only Japanese games about dystopia can be. Yeah, there's something very Metropolis or very Astro Boy about it. Very much so. And, you know, if any of the viewers out there have played a fantastic Hideo Kojima game called Snatcher, read only memories. And when they did the Kickstarter, they were very adamant about mm -hmm. the fact that they were highly inspired by Snatcher. Yeah. And it shows. Like, I, I, as somebody who played Snatcher, Snatcher... Okay, so the, the screen is set up in such a way that you've got the top half of the screen is the, the world whatever you're looking at. It's told, it's shown from a first-person view. So essentially, in every single place that you go to, you don't see yourself because you're looking through the eyes of the character. So the scene that you're in is from your eyes, uh, and then you have a menu to the left. And that's just the top half of the screen. The bottom half is purely left to conversation and conversation choices. Yeah. In Snatcher, it was similar, except the bottom half was left to all of your text commands. Not typing in text, but like choosing from a menu because that's what Snatcher was. It was all like menu commands. It's funny because, or I had not seen a ton of read-only memories besides the Kickstarter, and I kind of was like, I'll just wait for it to come out. And so I wasn't sure if it was actually going to be like similar to that. Like I would have actually been totally cool with playing a game that had like choices in the menu and going through and I remember starting it up and be like holy crap it's a point and click right and all of a sudden I was like man this I was honestly I wasn't sure that I would if I should play this game with a mouse or the controller because I was like really just locking it out I wanted to like enjoy it you wait know? I didn't even notice it has controller support does it have controller support I have no idea what I'm saying is I didn't know if I would have to use a controller or a mouse because I wasn't sure if it was going to be like text I choices assumed, I had assumed a mouse I had assumed text choices because I knew the, about the Snatcher influence. Yeah, you already played Snatcher. I haven't played Snatcher yet. Right. So I'm coming in. I came in with like this sort of preconceived notion. And and I came in. I was like, holy crap. It's a, it's a point and click adventure. So the, the intro, one, the minute you play the intro, it's got this like awesome voice acted narration. It's like, it is the year 2064, Neo San Francisco. It's like, you know, and it goes to this whole that. thing. And honestly, dude, like, Dan, I know you haven't played Snatcher yet. Maybe after this podcast, I'll show it to you. I'll show you the intro to Snatcher. You will, yeah, let's look it up on YouTube or something. When you look at the intro to Snatcher, you will look at it and be like, holy crap, beat for beat, this is like Snatcher. Like, they really love Snatcher. You can tell. At the, at the very least, I could get the time period out of it. Yeah, it's like mid-90s. We're starting to work with CD. Ooh, we can put voice on it. Let's put voice on it. Yeah, no, it, it felt like that. Yeah, yeah, it very much felt like Even that. Even the voice acting is like spot on for that kind of feeling. Yes. And I don't it's, want to it's say not, it's not just It's not just like a, a technical issue. It doesn't feel like a technical limitation or something that they did on purpose to make it sound that way. Like they were so super aware of the, the way the voice acting should sound. Yes. That they gave the, the actor director, uh, directions and in order to get them to, to say it the way that it needed to be said. Oh, and it's so perfect. I mean, the Snatcher voice acting is so incredible in that it's weirdly dramatic for what they're actually saying. It's really just describing stuff that happened over the last 15 right, years. Right, right, right. But it doesn't sound like a documentary. It sounds like dramatic narration. Yeah, like Neo San Francisco 2064. <laughs> Cybernetics have taken over the world. The intro is just absolutely fantastic. Mm. But it's 
it sets the mood. So it's like, you know, if you've played Snatcher before, it sets the mood. It's like, I know what I'm getting into. But if you haven't played it, it sets the mood for what the game is. Yeah, I was about to say, I haven't played Snatcher, so I, I did get a really good feel for, for what I was getting into. Like, I am super familiar with, with Cyberpunk. Even right. if I haven't played Snatcher, I played enormous amounts of Cyberpunk 2020 by Mike Pondsmith. Right. I have read, like, a lot of a lot of the William Gibson books. Huge fan both of Blade Runner and to Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. System Shock, System Shock 2. Such a huge fan of Cyberpunk anything. Yeah. By the end of the intro, I was like, yep, okay, Cyberpunk. Points one, two, three, check, check, check. Yeah. Get where I'm at. Okay, ready to go. Like, I was fully acclimated by the end of the intro. But I think what I really love about it is the fact that... Sorry, actually, on top of that, I would add the Tezuka visuals, or sort of like... I'm, right. I haven't even talked to them about the influence from Tezuka, but like... Dr. Fairlight looks exactly like Dr. Tenma. He really does! It looks exactly like Dr. Tenma. But I felt like that was an important aspect I don't, of the I don't, visuals. Yeah, I don't, I don't mean that as a, like, oh my god, there's still... I mean, no, 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 of course not. obvious homage. Yes, yes, it's an absolutely. obvious homage. Like, but it's, it's a crucial aspect of the visuals for this game, particularly. Like, it's not dark. It's the future. There are dystopian aspects to it. There is some civil unrest. Right. But at the same time, there are a lot of bright colors. There's a lot of brightness. It's not just neon lights. It's not neon lights and darkness, right. like a lot of cyberpunk can be. It's you know, a lot of bright colors and a lot of bright attitudes still. And that, like, that breeds a lot of freshness into cyberpunk that I think is usually not there. You know, I think the reason for this is that a lot of cyberpunk grew in the 80s, right? Mm -hmm. And the 80s was a huge rise in crime in America. Yeah. And everybody thought that America was just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And technology would get better, but there'd just be like more crime than we can possibly deal with. And like, it, th that's that's where it grew, right? So it kind of grew in this different branch. And I look at ROM as the kind of game that is like, okay, we have these like sort of cybernetic sensibilities, cyberpunk sensibilities uh, in our writing, but we're going to grow from right now. I feel that we as a people in general are far more optimistic about the future. We think less about like the growing crime wave and we think more about the social issues that we're dealing with. Yeah. And I think that's what I like about ROM is it, it is a cyberpunk game made for now. Yeah. Which is interesting because a lot of cyberpunk games that are made now are not made for now. It's true. A lot of them are still made with the same standard sensibilities. And so a lot of them, yeah, okay, yeah, they're satisfying to people who just want that injection of cyberpunk. There's something, even to me, like, I, I really am a cyberpunk junkie. I just want to hit. But even to me, I feel like there's something dissatisfying about that. Uh, reading Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep now, or reading uh, um, All of Tomorrow's Parties, I read that pretty late. I actually hadn't read the, the previous books, and so it took me a while to get acclimated. But once I did, I was like, Wow, this this world, this everything that's going on, all the characters. And right. It actually has my favorite character of any fiction ever. And he's introduced in a chapter titled by his name. Interesting. This chapter is one page long. So this page is in, is insanely short. This chapter is insanely short. In like three paragraphs, he manages to do more characterization than most writers do in an entire book. Right. In three paragraphs, he gives you a snapshot that fully describes this character, Boomzilla. Boomzilla. <laughs> now I'm so satisfied that you actually did not tell me his name until now. <laughs> it was clearly the punchline for this entire thing. Also, my favorite, like by coincidence, my favorite character name ever. So Even better than Bojack Horseman. Bojack. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things mm. that I love about Rome mm. is the fact that it's not afraid to be funny, you know? And it's, yeah. it, it is the kind of thing where, like, when you do things you're not supposed to, it's like, 
you shouldn't do that. Yeah, like, like uh, I want to kind of pour some sour milk on that. Yeah, I have spoiled milk that I got out of my fridge. I'm going to try and pour it on everybody. <laughs> like, you get the spoiled milk right at the beginning of the game, and it never takes it out of your inventory. In fact, there's a part in which it should be taken away from you, and they give it back to you. <laughs> I, I know which way, you know which way I'm talking about. It's, yeah. a, it's a part that we've both been to. Yeah. And I think it was so funny. They're like, I'm so glad they didn't think it was super weird that you had spoiled milk on you, so uh, I don't know if they give it back to you. <laughs> it's so clear that the mid-boss guys, the developers of the game, they wanted people to keep playing with it. There was one part, and I don't know if you're there yet, where I was so tempted to use it, and I think it would have worked, but I think it would have screwed me over, so I didn't do it. I wonder if I'm going to end up doing this or not. You, I think you'll know when you There's get a lot there. of choice in this game that, like, it makes me wonder, like, hmm, shows what kind of person you are. Yeah. Which way you try to go in this situation. Let me tell you, there's a point at which you'll realize, all of a sudden, oh, shit. This is a total viable reason to use spoiled milk. <laughs> and you will think about it. And I let me tell you, when you reach that moment, because you will know when you reach that moment. Yeah. I want you to use the spoiled milk only because I didn't, and I need to know what happens. And I, I can't promise anything. <laughs> I, the way I play games like this all the time is like, what would I really yeah, do? In no, this this is, I, I try to role-play myself, no, which is weird, role-playing yourself. But anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I, I do the same thing. I kind of like... I feel I feel bad about doing bad things to people unless you know I feel that I've been convinced that it's worth doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah, I need not... I need a like very solid justification for bad actions in a game. Which is funny because a lot of I think a lot of players when they play video games in general are like, it's not real. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want, and that's not how I play games. Like, I can't I, do that. Like yeah. I can't do that. Like I think about repercussions even if they're not real. Those repercussions still play out in the game, and that's important to me. I thought about that deeply in uh, in Demon Souls when I played it. Oh, really? Especially like, with the ending. Oh, okay, yeah, the ending. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even with like a lot of other situations, there are a lot of people that you can you know, obviously only meet all these NPCs. You can decide like how you want to interact with them and stuff. Right, right, right. There are plenty of reasons to kill a lot of these characters. No, it's totally true. They're totally using true. pretty damn good loot. I feel like a lot of people, like a lot of players, are like they're like happy to just like murder some dude because he's got a really good ring. I can't imagine that. I no, there's a, no, there's a lot of players like that. I mean, like that's unfortunate. Well, I mean, I think they just you know the fact that it's not real is kind of like okay. I that, guess. That's I mean, that's not how I play games. It's not how I play games either. When I played Demon Souls, I was like, that's not who my character is. He wouldn't do that. Julius isn't that man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Julius, uh, if you if, if if you don't know my character, Julius is named after my daughter. I, I try to find uh, a na a male name that would work well for. That's good. That's for, good. For, Jul Julius is a good name too. Also, yeah, Julius just sounds pretty kick ass. He sounds uh kind of uh, pious. Yeah. Oh, he was. He yeah. was totally pious. Yeah. I he was totally uh think. he was a faith build. Oh, that totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I thought you know all of that was really fun, and then by the time I got to the end, actually like so there are two endings to to Demon Souls. I'm not going to say what they are in case you haven't played. Although, like, honestly, the Statue of Limitations probably run out at this point. Yeah, it's like a 10-year-old game now. Still, I'll, uh, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I won't ruin things for you. But basically, there are two endings of the game, and neither one fit the way that I saw my character viewing the world, which was uh, not, too uh, not too coincidentally the way that my Bloodborne character viewed that world. I was like, okay, you know what? I am going to upload my save. I'm going to download it again later. I want to see both endings. But first, I'm going to choose the one that I think matches the way I would do things. And then you choose the other one just out of curiosity. Yeah. And the one that I chose, it wasn't because like, oh, I want the good ending or I want the bad ending. In fact, I was surprised to find out that they were as clean cut as that. Bloodborne's not so cut and dry. The the ending that I got first was the bad one. But the way that I had role played it in my head, it was like, this is not how my character would have approached things. 
So I was like, okay, well, if he went in with these intentions, it would have come out with these results to his dismay. Right. If he were to like later on look back on his actions, he might regret this. Right, 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 right. right. And be like, man, what kind of human being have I become? Am I even right. a human being at all anymore? It was, I, I kind of, I, I looked at the whole situation that way. I role played the whole thing and mm -hmm. then I replayed it again as a good character. And I was like, okay, actually, this is closer to what I would really want because the situation that I role played in my head was not at all like the bad ending, but it just wasn't supported. Despite all the customization that they have in the characters and how you build your dude and how you play the game, the endings are actually pretty well clean cut. The endings are also not connected to what you've done up until that point. No, they are not. They right. are based upon the final choice that you make. So you can play the whole game as a, as a total jerkwad and then be the savior of humanity at the end. Or you could be a great guy, saving everybody, all the humans. And then become a horrible human being at the end. Yeah. All the single humans. All the single humans? All the single humans. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Falling into Bojack Horseman again. Getting back to Rom. Yes. One, of the, one of the things I absolutely love about Rom, I remember on the Kickstarter that it is an inclusive adventure game. And I love the way they say that because to lay it out there, Rom is a game made by Midboss. Midboss is all about making games that are LGBT friendly. Matt Kahn, who's the CEO of Midbus, is also the head of GamerX, which is a LGBT-friendly convention, which is super cool. I love that they're doing that. I love that they're spearheading all this stuff. You know, even for people who are LGBT-friendly, who are people who fight for equality for people of every type, I think the thing that a lot of people are worried about, I was talking to a friend of mine who I was telling like, dude, you got to play this game. You got to play this game. And he was like, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I'm not sure how it's going to be like, you know, like if it's going to be like really agenda heavy, you know, you know what I mean? Like kind of just being like, if you don't think this, you're a bad person, you know, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, the kind of, the kind of stuff that I think turns off people who otherwise would actually be really, really into the same concepts and ideas that mid boss has been championing since the beginning. And what I was so happy to find was how nuanced the plot is. And, and not even like the plot, the plot has nothing to do with it, in fact. It is all yeah. the, the dressing, it's all the, everything that's the, the world that they're in. And the plot is not about that. It's not. But the dressing, one that like the everything around it kind of like improves the plot, makes it mm. like meatier. But mm. everything around it is so nuanced, so incredible that if you are not the kind of person that analyzes story, you might miss it completely. Yeah. So what I love about it, I'm gonna lay it out. I'm just gonna completely just lay it out. Drop that shit. I'm gonna drop that shit. So one thing I really love about it, you know, it's 2064. It's what like 50 years in the future. There are so many characters that you'll meet. People of all walks of life, quite literally all walks of life. You know, some are hybrids, some are cyborgs, some are just like regular people. You've got LGBT people of all types. You've, you've got heterosexual people. You've got homosexual people. You've got all these people and none of it is a thing. None of it is a thing. All these people live happily with who they are and what they love. And it's mm. super cool. And the game never points at it. That's what I love about it is the game never points at it and say like, see, see, this is what we could be like. It just presents it and like, this is the future. In this future, we've overcome these obstacles, these silly obstacles that we can't get over for some reason. But then at the same time, you've got this like very real problem. This like, these two sides are kind of fighting against each other. You've got like people who are like the human, human revolution, revolution, the human revolution. They're like, yeah. they, they're, they're like naturalists, you know, they're just like, we can't change the definition of humanity, all this stuff. And then you've got the other side, which is literally everybody else because it's, <laughs> it's, you know, you got the human revolution and then you've got like, you got hybrids, you got cyborgs, you've got all these other people who are trying to just live their lives and be who they feel comfortable being. And 
and like I love that whole part about the human revolution about how they're like we don't want to redefine the the definition of humanity what's so beautiful about that whole thing is that it has this whole like sort of like alien argument something mm-hmm. that we've never dealt with something mm-hmm. that we'll probably not deal with for a long time and but something that's like oh man like people could fall on either side like it doesn't really matter who you are you really could think like oh the human revolution's kind of got a point or like oh but why not hybrids like that's, that's kind of cool like you could fall on either side but in the end, this argument just is a repeat. History repeats itself. It is a repeat of the exact same argument we have today. Even though in this world, the argument we're having today is over. It's quaint that we even have this complaint. Yeah. We have these arguments. People are living their lives that way. But then the, the actual problem that exists is just a mirror image of what we already have. And the way that they package that is so intelligent that you suddenly, I mean, I can't speak for myself because like I'm, I'm going to say I'm pro LGBT, like hugely pro LGBT. So for me, like I, I was like, wow, what a great way to get the message out. But I would love for people to play it. I wonder if that would change people's ideas about the issues that we deal today with because it's packaging the same argument in this more like abstract concept and saying like, well, how do you feel about it now? Now that it's something that you're not like personally, emotionally invested in, how silly does this seem to you? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's one of the things that really gets me. It's like, it really comes across very clearly and it comes across very early on. Basically, as soon as you start meeting any of the secondary cast, especially like it's super pertinent in light of like any recent developments, sort of marriage laws, uh, sort of like race issues with, for example, Ferguson. There's so much that's happened recently that has had major consequences, but has occurred for petty reasons. Emphasis on these issues sort of like shifts and it kind of ebbs and flows with time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like People focus less on women's rights than they used to back, you know, maybe in, in earlier years, mm-hmm. even though there's still like there's plenty to be to be solved there. Yeah. I mean, there's sort of an emphasis on from some of that has like shifted towards gay rights. And when, when I say emphasis, I'm even talking about like negative emphasis from from people who want to limit rights or limit human rights or limit what's available to people or what options are available to people that, that should be like equal to all. Like some of, some of that emphasis kind of like shifts from one group of people to another. But in ROM, like a lot a lot of all of that all that stuff is kind of like shifted to the wayside where we've moved past all of those human issues yeah. and moved on towards like other ones like to transhuman that are, issues that, yeah literally transhuman issues like post-human issues yeah the argument is the, is the same and even within my own lifetime i'm not that old yet yeah maybe i'm old enough to start like complaining about how old i am i have a backache <laughs> you do have a backache, <laughs> that have is a backache. <laughs> that's all right my, i don't have one this week <laughs> <laughs> But like maybe, yeah, maybe I'm old enough to start complaining about how old I am. But at the same time, like I don't feel old and I I have been through enough decades to have seen these things progress quite a lot. I mean, obviously the world's a very different place from when I was born in 1983. Absolutely. Like the United States is in a very different place. Yeah. And we accept a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. I as a person accept different things than when I was younger. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I didn't understand any of this stuff. I didn't understand anything. If I could go back in time and tell myself that, I would have told myself to shut up. Yeah. (laughs) I would do the same thing, actually. People tell me to shut up all the time now. (laughs) (laughs) But what really shocks me, though, is like how genuinely and how truthfully they're able to convey the fact that if it's not a problem now, then it's B problem tomorrow. And if it's it's B problem tomorrow, then it's C problem the day after that. 
Right. There are like pattern, like maybe even flaws in our like hardwiring. Right. Because it's speaking to human nature, right? Like it's speaking less to like the specific issue and speaking more to like a resistance to change. Yeah. I feel like the thesis here is that if like a sort of, maybe it's an underlying message. I'm not even sure if this is as far as they were trying to communicate this. I haven't asked them, but like, I feel like if you were to say that in today's times, we, we struggle with achieving equality among humans who are of different colors or different sexualities or of different genders. Mm-hmm. Even if we can overcome that in the next 50 years, then the next problem we're going to struggle with is going to be achieving the same kind of equality for people who are who have different DNA. For we're example, not traditionally they're not, human. They're not traditionally human. Right. Who are, even if they can procreate with other humans, they're not of, an, of another species, but they have new genes that make them look significantly different from what we would have considered human in years before that. Well, wait, or, there's, there's... or if parts of their body are not organic anymore. Right. Actually, in the case of hybrids specifically, there is, I think, a part, like some like side thing where they talk about the fact that one of the biggest issues for hybrids is that they pass on their hybrid DNA onto their kids. Right, they do. They, they say that in like chapter two or three. Yeah, yeah. so like it, it is, it perils so much, well, a kid needs a mother and a father sort it of does. thing. You know what it's like very it, close to that. It really is, it like, think of the children. Like, think of them. Like Or like, what if they pass on their gay DNA? And then, yeah, 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 yeah. All that silly stuff. I mean, but the thing is, like, in the case of the hybrids, like, it's a little different because there is genetic evidence to say that they they will pass on that DNA. Right. But the thing is, like, the issue is not whether or not they will, but the fact that that's automatically demonized. Yes. My point is that, like, I feel like the underlying thesis is that if you're going to say that the issues of yesterday are the issues of today, then that underscores the fact that there are flaws in human reasoning. Right. And that we are hardwired to come across these mistakes and that it is to some degree inevitable, not that we will be flawed or not that we will always have like some kind of like irrational hate in our hearts, but that we need to overcome that. That even if there may be a cycle that we need to like continually overcome that until, I don't know what, until we're Arthur C. Clarke and like light beings floating in, in, in space. I thought you were going to say light beings. I thought you were going to say light beings. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but you, know, you see what I'm saying here, No, right? I don't, I don't, we, I actually... we have to overcome those things, and that's a cyclical problem that we have to continually overcome until there are no more of those to stamp out. And maybe maybe, or maybe not they're trying to say that specifically, but like those are the conclusions that I start to come to while I'm reading and playing and, and, and enjoying this game. My, 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 yeah, basically I was coming to, not necessarily the fact that like we won't surpass this until, like I don't think that's part of the thing. It's I, I think mm. it was more this exists and it will keep happening. That's as much as I've seen, at least, in, in the messaging. And mm-hmm. but at the same time, no, I didn't. I, I didn't really feel like that was a message. I was trying to like logically draw that out. Like, where could this go out otherwise? Well, I say messaging in the way that, like, if you if you look through like literary criticism, it's not literally somebody saying that. It's like you no, know, of course not. No, it's 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 just like the themes, like the yes. themes, and the atmosphere that's in the game. Like, you see that, but like you know, at least not yet do I see any sort of. And here's the solution. You know what I mean? No, I didn't see that. In, yet in, either, in, but in some ways, it just seems like time is the solution. Right, 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 right. Right, because like that is literally the only thing that they've like they've solved is up until over time. that point. Up until that point, that's the only thing that's worked. So yeah, that that is read only memories. If you love adventure games, if you have played Snatcher, if you have not played Snatcher, if you want to play a chill adventure game with some really awesome just espionage and conspiracy and like. 
We didn't even get to talk about Turing, who's one of the coolest characters. Oh my god, Turing's amazing. Just the game is fantastic. I actually, you know what? I don't want to talk about Turing because I want people to experience Turing for the first time. Yes. Super cool character. He was a good surprise. I even knew he was in the game, and like he he showed up, and within like two or three lines, he was my favorite character at the point. Why did you say he? That's a good point. There is no reason to call I him made, he. I made the same mistake. I love probably, the game probably because I'm male. They. It, Turing. They, sure. I think it is actually like derogatory in a way. Like, you know. It's not fair because. It's not fair. Turing has sentience. Exactly. Turing is special. They, Turing. Toasters are it. To mm, yes. My, my toaster isn't it. It doesn't. Well, your toaster's also not sapient. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I love the fact. <laughs> anyway, I love the fact that actually, so before, you know, before we close this whole thing out. I love the fact that the game calls me on shit that I do that it should call me on. Things that even somebody as me, as a progressive person that really believes in these things, it calls me on things that I don't even notice. Yes, habits. And things, I'm just like, things that are so ingrained that you just don't know, you don't see them anymore. It's so fantastic. And when he calls you on it, you're like, man, you're totally fucking right. God damn it. I can't believe I'm doing stuff like that. Like, it, it's so interesting. And then, the, actually, the, the thing about, like, Turing being, people calling Turing a he, it's like, maybe it's because I'm blue. And that really made, made me start to think about, like, how ingrained the color blue and pink are in our minds about, like, male and female identity and all this stuff. And I'm sure the game is meant to, like, do that. And it was so interesting. Did your Turing change color? No. Mine did. Really? My Turing is, like, orange right now. Seriously? Yeah. Oh man! Wait, how did that happen? I don't know. I loaded up the game on a, a different on a different day, and suddenly he's orange. Holy he, shit! They are orange. Like even in the text, it's still calling. Like it mentioned him being blue. What? Yeah. Wait, Turing's orange. Look, that's not like a, orange. I'll, I'll show it's you. Not like a glitch or anything. If I load up the game later this evening or something, and it's still that way, I will take a screenshot immediately. Yeah, please do. Please, do. I'm curious about this. That's super curious. It was a completely different color scheme. I was like, I, I like the old one better. I thought they like updated the game or something and then changed it. There was an I, update. There actually was an update. A but I didn't ago. know why. Right, right. And I didn't there know was, what was going there's on. There's no text to talk about it or anything. Some of the text even mentioned him as being blue. I was really confused. That's interesting. That's something we'll have to investigate. Yeah. When was the last time you played? I played over the weekend. See, I this was before that, I think. Oh, so I don't know why orange in my game and not yours. No, no, no. Turing is still blue in my game. Weird. Actually, there was something he something that Turing called me on that I felt really horrible about, and I don't want to talk about it because it's a huge spoiler. Yeah, and it's, and it's no something that you stuff. haven't got to yet. But after I get there, fair game. Screw everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So that's that's read only memories. It's it's available on Steam right now. It's fourteen ninety nine. Fantastic game. If you love adventure games, you love pointing click it's got a stellar story it's a great mystery yeah, the, i the the mystery of it is incredible like, oh it's great i find myself so absorbed in it and like so excited to like, it's funny because we talk about talking about the themes but the main story has like very little to do with all this stuff yeah it really is just mystery like this person has disappeared what the hell happened yeah, and then you go all about like trying to solve it, and there are a lot of like really some really good mystery writing. If you've never written a, a mystery story, a significant part of writing a good mystery is covering potential plot holes. Yes, that is crucially important, and they do that constantly. And it's they do it very subtly, and that's an, a very clear indicator of good mystery writing. Yep, is that you don't notice when they're doing that unless you're like you know maybe trained in this. Yeah, no, they're very good at it. They're very, very good at it. So yeah, I think that's yeah, uh, so true. Go play, if you love adventure games, go play Read Only Memories. 
fantastic. God, there's a, I just thought, oh, there's one more thing I want to say, but I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. We got to close <laughs> out the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you want to follow Playism, you can follow us at, at Playism E-N on Twitter. You can follow me, Nyan, at the Trin T-H-E-T-R-I-N on Twitter. And you can follow me, Dan, at DNA Noodle. Sounds exactly the way it's spelled. Yeah. And you can follow all us on, on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Playism. Love all those indie games and have a great time and uh, we'll be back as soon as possible. I'm going to be, I'm actually going to be a PS Experience, PlayStation Experience in I December. I am so jelly. I, I was actually, I wanted you to come with me, but it's not going to happen. But uh, hopefully we'll have some cool stuff to talk about from there. Uh, on the next episode. This has been Jay Play, the Playism Podcast. Thank you guys. Catch you later. Have a good night.